0: Dave, we welcome you up to share the word with us this morning. We're going to pray for Dave as he um, brings what he's prepared. Do you want to come up here? i I pray for you? Lord, we just thank you that we can hear from David this morning. And we ask, Lord, that you would clarify his thoughts and give him confidence and boldness. Thank you for all that he's blessed our church with for many, many years, him and Narina together, and we just honour them and thank you for them and for the gifts and the ministry that you've given him. And we pray that you would bless us and encourage us as a congregation as we hear from him and from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. I guess you all know I've just returned from a pilgrimage to Jordan and Israel. Two amazing weeks, my first time. Uh, It was with uh, pastors and leaders in the CRC Churches International under the guidance and leadership of Michael and Bronnie Chant who uh, are here today. Uh, there were 14 of us all in total, and uh, my son Josh joined me from his home in Edinburgh, Scotland. It was a father and son building and bonding time, and I thank God for that. Now, before we get as serious, uh, just a few photos, a few bits and pieces big and little things that caught my eye. Now, I don't know how this is going to work. The screen hasn't come down today, so we're on a black wall. Let's see what happens. Okay, you're going to have to look hard. That is a view of the promised land from Mount Nebo. This is where Moses looked at the promised land just before he died. That one you'll recognise? Yes, you can see that. That is Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. It's called a city like no other. I think the words are true. We love our dogs. Well, they love their donkeys. I felt sorry for this little guy. He was standing there all by himself. No one went near him, so I wandered across and I talked encouraging words to him. He just looked at He looked at me with his big brown eyes and then I sang Jesus loves you to him. He still just looked at me with his big brown eyes. To this day, I don't know what he was thinking. Not as cute but got a lot of character. (laughs) No doubt about it. We now visit Nazareth, and would you believe it? Joseph was in his carpentry shop. Unbelievable. It was lovely to meet him. And then there was Boaz waiting for Ruth to arrive, just sharing a moment with a lovely little donkey. Now understand, this is actually where Jesus as a little boy may have run around and played. Couple of signs that just uh, made me smile. You probably can't read it, but it says, don't sit on the flowers, don't sit down. Why would you sit on the flowers? Anyway, they were just making sure that no one did. Ladies, wear sleeves. Gentlemen, long pants. And by the way, no guns and knives. Now Jordan and Jerusalem are potential war zones. There's tension in the air. There's checkpoints, soldiers and guns. The Palestinians don't like the Jews and the Jews the Palestinians. There's the Muslims, the Christians, the Judaizers and the Messianic Jews. There's the Arabs and the Israels. It's a volatile mix. However, it was great that the water hydrants were happy hydrants and had personality. (coughs) Not only did the hydrants have personality, but the rubbish tins were happy and friendly. There's a lesson, be happy whatever your calling is in life. We're told in the Bible, the promised land, was a land of milk and honey. Well, I'm just so glad to tell you, not only is it the land of milk and honey, but also cappuccinos. Okay, now down to business. The sermon today, the title and the theme. Three years that changed the world. I'm referring to the three years of Jesus' ministry on earth. His age, young man, 30 to 33. Such a short tenure, but what a tremendous impact and influence. In fact, three years that changed the world. I'm gonna introduce each aspect of Jesus' life and ministry with a photo or two from my recent pilgrimage. I took a thousand photos, you're gonna see 20. But here's two facts I want you to hear. The sermon today is not about me. It's not about my trip, my pilgrimage, it's about Jesus, the truth, the way, and the life. Secondly, you may hear nothing new in my sermon. No doubt you know the story well, but it's the greatest story ever told. It's worth revisiting often. A little quote that I like, everything that is old may not be gold, but if it's new, it can't be true. The headings of this message represent the flow of Jesus' life and ministry. They're baptism, battle, beatitudes, beautiful feet, bruised, bloodied, and buried, and back. Baptism. Jesus' ministry proper got started when he was baptised in the River Jordan. I believe it's his way of dedicating his life and ministry to God. You know, he walked about a thousand kilometres from his home in Capernaum to where he got baptised. A hundred kilometres, did I say a thousand? A hundred kilometres, and that meant a hundred back. That was probably the baptismal site, probably looked a little bit different when Jesus was there. There were people being baptised when we arrived. As I was walking from the bus to the baptismal site, A bird took my attention. I took a photo. I didn't think anything of it, other than it was a nice bird. Until I was home and looking at the photo, suddenly I realised something. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. What is the significance of the Holy Spirit descending like a dove? A dove is a beautiful symbol of purity and peace. It speaks of God in Christ reconciling the world through himself and to himself. What a joyful message which comes upon the wings of a dove. God's heart is to bring peace into a world that is at war. Israel is a war zone, both past, present and I think into the future, Soldiers with guns not far away at any time. See the Palestinians hate the Jews. They want their country back. Muslims, Judaizers, Christians, cause religious fights. I sat next to a young lady who I found out was a young Palestinian school teacher. It was on the flight from Amman to Doha. We talked. Yes, she told me she was a Muslim. I said I was a Christian. She said she has some Christian friends, but she looked at me and said, I hate the Jews. I said, Jesus has taught that we're to love our enemies and do good to those who despitefully use you. She said, how would you like it if someone came and took your country from you? I said, I understand. We talked a little more. And she said, it would be very hard to change religions. Now, I don't know what that meant. I don't know whether God had spoken to her and challenged her. I hope so. I've been praying for her. It's not just a problem in Israel. It's a worldwide problem. Jesus said the world would be full of wars and rumours of wars. What's the solution? The peace of God in our hearts. Just want to illustrate by reading from a little book that I received in Israel. It was given, it was, I purchased it from two Messianic Jews who ministered to us. It says, in case you didn't notice, Israel isn't exactly the Garden of Eden. We've still got plenty of problems in this country, you're right. We Israelites still lie and cheat all too often. At times we're rude and selfish and impatient. We get angry and bitter too easily. There is much good and beauty in our culture and people, but there's also something missing, something's broken. Even if we had perfect political leaders, we'd still have significant internal problems because of our own attitudes and actions. What we need isn't some political solution, but a change of heart. A heart transplant, if you will. That's the truth. A heart transport plant, if you will. God's love accepted into our lives through salvation offered to us in grace. Gives us a new heart. Some scriptures that speak of God's peace. There's so many, it's another sermon. But Isaiah says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord himself is the rock eternal. New Testament, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. Yeah, there's going to be trouble, but we don't have to be because his peace can fill our hearts. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. A heart of peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. There's going to be trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. In the end, the dove is going to settle in a new heaven and on a new earth God's peace will prevail we're told in Isaiah the earth will be full of the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea, message translation the whole earth will be brimming with knowing God alive, a living knowledge of God, ocean deep, ocean wide we knew We move on now to the battle. The heading speaks of the time immediately following his baptism. Mark 1, 12. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert and he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals and angels attended him. So Jesus headed from his baptism in the Jordan to Jericho and then to the Mount of Temptation. Somewhere on that mountain and beyond is where Jesus spent his 40 days and 30 nights. Our guide's name was Lazarus. Yes, it makes you smile, and he smiled when he said, he said he's copped it as a kid. Come on, Lazarus, come out. But he said the 40 days and 40 nights actually represents a long period of time. I hadn't heard that before, but it's interesting. I think no doubt Jesus was learning about his ministry, perhaps thinking about his teaching, preparing his parables and getting his priorities in order. He has been tested and tried to make certain his full commitment to God his Father and to win over the devil's temptation. I believe in the desert he embraced his job specification. His job specification to preach the good news and then die for the sins of the world. Mm-hmm. Hebrews 4:15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. We know Jesus made it through. He was ministered to by angels. And we read, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. Just a note for us, sometimes the battles we face in life purify and empower us for ministry. What is an understanding, an ability to understand, to empathise and to love others. We head now to the heading Beatitudes. The heading, of course, speaks to us of Jesus' famous sermon on the mountain. Matthew 5, don't think I've got this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying. And so we have this artist's impression of Jesus on the mountain, not far out from Capernaum, teaching. That's what it looks like today. Today. It's a church on the mountain. And as I thought about it, we always laugh at Peter at the Mount of Transfiguration, possibly Mount Tambor. Peter saw Jesus, Moses and Elijah and, and the word says, he said, oh, this is amazing. We'll build three shelters for you guys. And the Bible says he didn't really know what he was saying. Well, I tell you what, that was Prophetic. Nearly every sacred site has a church right on top of it these days. So Peter wasn't alone. Lots of people have done the same thing. What about this famous Sermon on the Mountain? I want to tell you, it was a breath of fresh air, a liberating, encouraging word, where law had eliminated love where the rich and the powerful and the loud and the proud had got their way through shout and shove, might and fight, law and war, this was a beautiful word. Listen to what the NIV Study Bible says about Herod, Herod the Great. His reign was noted for splendour, as seen in the many theatres, and amphitheatres, monuments, pagan orders, fortresses, and other buildings he erected and furnished. He, He used taxes to build these amazing buildings, including the greatest work of all, the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem, begun in 20 BC and finished 68 years after his death. Powerful man, did some good things, but like most rulers of the day, he was ruthless, murdering his wife his three sons, his mother-in-law, his brother-in-law, uncle, and many others, not to mention the babies in Bethlehem. Jesus' message, given the title Seven Woes, includes these words to the religious leaders and Pharisees of the day. Where do you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites? You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus' words on the mountaintop were life-giving, hope-building, soul-healing to the ordinary, honest and sincere seekers of God's love and blessing. Let's look at Jesus' Message: The Sermon on the Mountain. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Think of King Herod. Think of the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious teachers. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You can just see the multitude thinking, God cares for us. It's okay, we don't have to be loud and proud. The sermon continued. I don't have it on the screen, but let me read. I'll read it firstly from the message. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. Ever been there? With less of you, there's more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourself proud owners of everything that can be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever have. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourself cared for. You're blessed when you get inside your world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete and fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when you commit, when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The Persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. He went on to say these things, again from the message. Be especially careful when you're trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it It might be good theatre, but the God who made you won't be applauding. When you come before God, don't turn it into a theatrical production either. All these things making a regular show out of their prayers, all these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simple and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you'll begin to sense His grace. When you practise some appetite-denying discipline to better concentrate on God, don't make a production out of it. It might turn you into a small-time celebrity, but it won't make you a saint. If you go into training inwardly, act normally outwardly, shampoo and comb your hair, brush your teeth, wash your face, God doesn't require attention-getting devices. He won't overlook what you're doing. He'll reward you well. Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moss and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is is the place where you most want to be in and up being. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticise their faults, unless of course you want the same treatment. That critical spirit is a way of boomeranging. It's the whole travelling road show mentally all over again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practised in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff even though the crowd, crowds of people do, the way to life, God, is vigorous and requires total attention. Nearly there. Be wary of false preachers who smile a lot. <laughs> I love this. Be wary of false preachers who smile a lot, dripping with practiced sincerity. Chances are they'll rip you off in some way or other. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbooks. When Jesus concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause. They had never heard teaching like this. It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying, quite a contrast to their religious teacher. This was the best teaching they had ever heard. best teaching ever heard. I think the message in the words of a song, wrap it up. I'm not loved because I'm worthy. I'm worthy because I'm loved. Thoughts to ponder. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living. John 6.68, Jesus' words are words of life. Colossians three sixteen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and James one twenty two. Do not merely listen to the words; do what it says. Leads us to the heading: beautiful feet. What does it mean? In Romans ten fifteen, it is written: How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news! It was written. Where is it written? Isaiah fifty two seven. How beautiful on the mountains! You saw that mountain of temptation. You ought to see the mountains throughout the promised land, throughout Israel, they're just amazing, intimidating. But how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Jesus made his base in Capernaum. It was his hometown he left Nazareth and went down to Capernaum today it's an archaeological ruin they were the houses at Capernaum but Jesus didn't stay in Capernaum he did a lot of walking through this land from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the south Capernaum to Jerusalem about 150 kilometers Return journey 300 kilometres. We know that Jesus made this journey at least three times in the three years of his ministry. How beautiful were his feet. I've estimated as I've tracked where he went that in those three years, he walked 3,000 plus kilometres to share the good news and the minister to the people in the land. How beautiful were the feet of Jesus as he shared the good news on the mountains and the valleys. His ministry included amazing words, amazing miracles, and amazing grace. John concludes his gospel with these words. This is the disciple, John, who testifies about these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them was written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. In John 20, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. In fact, if you read the Gospel of John, he probably records fewer miracles that Jesus performed than the other Gospel writers. But he's still saying, hey, I've just written these few there as signs, but there's so many other miracles recorded that I haven't I haven't put... But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. A few of... Jesus' loving words. Jesus said again, I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They'll come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Those words lead us onto the next chapter of Jesus' ministry. Bruised, bloodied and buried. Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey as Zechariah had prophesied. Zechariah, second last book in the Old Testament. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. That's Jerusalem. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious lowly riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus knew he wasn't coming to Jerusalem to be crowned as king, but to be crucified as a blasphemer by stating he was the Christ, the Son of God. He was crucified for telling the truth. He was and is the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus was ready to die and he committed himself to it. But as he entered Jerusalem, we read his words. He said, my soul is troubled. We can understand that. But what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No way. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. On the eve of his arrest and crucifixion, Jesus went to his favourite spot, just outside of Jerusalem. In the lower slopes of the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane. We were told that one of those trees may in fact be over 2,000 years old. Jesus may well have sat under one of those trees. He struggled in prayer. He sweated drops of blood. But he finished his prayer by saying, your will be done. At about 10pm that night, Judas led a crowd of Jews assembled by the chief priest and they arrested Jesus, who was taken to Caiaphas, the high priest's home. He was blindfolded, he was mocked, beaten and spat on. He was held overnight in the basement of Caiaphas's house. But in the morning, he was pronounced guilty of blasphemy by the Sanhedrin, which is the high court of the Jews. They wanted him to be killed, to be crucified. He was led away, possibly on these very steps, to Pilate's home or the praetorium. The plaque on the wall alongside the steps probably depicts, tells the story well. Pilate sat in judgment and he surrendered to the cry of the hostile crowd, crucify him. Pilate had Jesus flogged by the soldiers. They enjoyed it, they mocked him they beat him on the head with a staff. They spat on him, they twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Pilate handed him over to be crucified. He walked, carrying a cross along the path through Jerusalem called Via Della Rosa, which means path of sorrows, path of pain. Who was led to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. That's it today. Made very sad to see the rubbish, the foot of the cliff. It got worse, I haven't got those photos with me. Why the place of the skull? Well, that's what it looked like before it was weather beaten and worn away over the years. Jesus was crucified on the cross. It was about 9am in the morning, at 12 noon when the sun is normally shining bright, the whole land was covered with darkness. Then at 3pm it came to an end and Jesus called out, it is finished, Father into your hands I commit my spirit. Note that he didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. Jesus had died for the sins of the world. The earth shook, the rock split. The centurion guarding Jesus was terrified, we read, and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. At that moment, the, tur- the curtain in the-, the temple was torn from top to bottom. The significance of that sins had been accounted for, cleansing available, and access into the Holy of Holies. The very presence of God was now possible. Why? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Before darkness fell, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a secret disciple of Jesus, gained permission to take and bury Jesus' body in a tomb he owned. John 19:41. at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Joseph and Nicodemus, who had come to Jesus by night, wrapped Jesus' body with spices and strips of linen and they placed it in the tomb. A big stone was rolled. In front of the entrance, a Roman guard was posted to guard the tomb that was secured with a seal. Jesus' ministry was over. Or was it? It was very moving to enter the gate to the garden tomb. Only 50 metres from Golgotha, the hill that looked like a skull. First day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found a stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. When in Capernaum, I was walking back to the bus, I saw a man lying on a bench, and then I realised it it was a statue, I don't know whether you can see it on the back wall, but if you look at his feet, it's Jesus. He headed back to Capernaum, he loved the place a asleep on the bench. Jesus is alive. Jesus said, "I am the resurrection and the life. So I conclude, the three years of Jesus ministry climaxing with his death and resurrection, three years that have changed the world. It's a world with reason now. It's a world with hope. It's a mess at the moment, and the mess might get worse, but Jesus is coming back to sort things out. Let me read from Leroy Brown his book of daily readings today is mine. While men may differ on many points about Jesus, they agree that his fame has no rival, that his grip on human hearts has no equal, that his word is sharper than any sword, and that his power to command is mightier than any general. To his followers, Christ is the way, the truth and the life the paragon of goodness, the model of morality and the saviour of the lost. After 19 centuries, his footprints will still glow, still glow with a radiant helpfulness and all who are guided by them lift their own feet of clay to victories. The challenge? Jesus has changed our world. But we need to personalise it. Has he changed our personal worlds? Is he he our saviour, our Lord and our friend? If why not, why not come to the Father through him, the truth, the way and the life? The steps we take to do that. Simply come sincerely to God and say, Father, I'm sorry that I've sinned. Live for myself and not for you. Thank you for sending Jesus for dying for me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Please forgive me, cleanse me. Make me right with God and fill me with your spirit. Not hard. You're ready to do that today. Do it where you sit. You know, we have invented things. Lift up your hand, come to the front. They can be helpful. You don't have to do that. you just got to be sincere. Come to God in your heart and say, I want it. God, I want you to be my father. Jesus, thank you. I want you to be my saviour. Feel me with this spirit. can happen right where you are. If you're not ready for that yet, but a seed's been planted today, just say, God, there's been a seed planted. I want to be serious about checking this out to see if it's true. He'll lead you to Jesus, the truth, the way, and the life. Music team, please come. It's 11.27. We've got three minutes before closing time. Lead us in the next song. I praise the name, and maybe man of sorrows. And then I'm going to hand back to you. Joe. So we did three minutes and thirty minutes. Sorry. We did three years and thirty minutes. I trust that God has touched us today. Let's stand and sing.